0: can't remember the exact year because I'm on my like sixth cocktail so
1: <laughs> these are the tales of golf past as you've never heard them before our guests tell stories blending historic rounds on and off course moments memories of personal catastrophe and elation and yes alcohol I'm Jer, I'm Proy, I'm Joe, and I'm Migs. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Lynx stories.
0: My name is Ben Genoey, and I'm here to tell you the story of Ben Hogan. So, Ben Hogan, born in 1912 in Texas, a small town in Texas. Son of a blacksmith, which is to me one of those old-timey jobs that only come when you're born in 1912. <laughs> Had a interesting relationship with his father unfortunately when he was a young boy, I believe around 9 or so. His father uh Killed himself, shot himself. And some people say that his father did that in front of him, which had to be absolutely brutal. And uh can't imagine what he had to go through seeing that. Anyways, uh eventually when uh after his father killed himself, he started working and caddying at his somewhat local course near to where he grew up. One of the other caddies was uh, Byron Nelson, another pro golfer of note. And they competed against each other in one of the caddy tournaments held at that course. Uh, Byron Nelson apparently drained a beautiful 30-foot putt to force a playoff. They went into the playoff can't remember the exact length of the playoff. And Byron Nelson again drained another beautiful putt to beat Ben Hogan. Just another thing to reinforce their young early rivalry and their competition later in life. So after spending time caddying and uh, going through his Pre-pubescent, pubescent pubescent teen years, Ben Hogan decided that he was pretty damn good at this golf thing and (laughs) decided to turn pro just before he turned 18. So he uh, went pro in early 1930 and started a pretty lengthy uh, pro career that we all know and love today. Uh, In 1935, he married his beloved wife, uh, was it Valerie or Vivian? I think it was Valerie. Valerie Fox. And, uh, smoke show. Despite Two sexy name, absolutely sexy name. And, uh, I imagine she was pretty sexy for back in the day for, uh, if we're going by 1930 standards. Uh, unsexily, they apparently met in Sunday school, which is Hot. something that really gets us Catholics. <laughs> <going>. <laughs> sure. They were engaged. <laughs> A few minutes after they met, and she was pregnant before the lesson was over and then, uh, let's see. So <laughs> I met her in 1935. So, uh, 1930
2: turned pro you just, you just blew right past the great depression there. Let, let's just say <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Got
2: a little blip on the right <laughs>
0: now. Herbert hoover's financial policy absolutely destroyed the country and then we elected FDR 1 of the greatest presidents we've ever had in our lives. Not. we are speaking to a history buff. In America, yeah, you're all fortunate. You're getting all these uh, little side stories, little historical tidbits that get sprinkled in. uh, Former Jeopardy champion, also I must add. Child Jeopardy, really? Mm. Contestant, Jeopardy contestant, not a champion. Certified, certified loser on Jeopardy. Did you Did you meet Did you meet the king? I did. Well, yeah, I was on. Je- I was on. I was on the Jeopardy teen tournament in high school. It was awesome. How is how is this the first time that we are hearing about this? <laughs> two hours. <into> this. <laughs> it was my. Did you win a
2: fucking car or something?
0: No, I won enough money to buy my first car. Uh-huh. Does that does that work? Rowdy, a uh, two thousand one uh, Ford Taurus. Uh, Mike, you remember it well. Uh, El Toro Azul. El Toro Azul. Yeah, my that's... my favorite car of all time is a, I had a 97 Ford Taurus in grad school. Jeremy probably remembers it. Greatest car that oh, yeah. I, that's ever been. Absolutely. Absolutely. bitchin' car, except it yeah. was prone to overheating. Yes. Oh, that, that's why I had to uh, trade it in for $300. So. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. $300? The, Just uh, donate that
2: shit, man.
0: The engine. Good ROI. What is it? The cars for kids? Donate your car today?
2: Yeah,
3: Mother bottles, no yeah. change of sing life. Sing it, sing it for us, Benj. What is it?
0: One eight
1: seven seven <laughs> cards for kids. Don't ask me like you don't know it.
2: today
0: Uh, so I actually uh heard that's actually uh not an organization that you really want to donate to. No, they 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 they, right they keep like ninety eight percent of it. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Not a not an idea. Losers, though. in other words. <laughs> <Yeah>. Losers. <laughs> other words. Oh my, my God, God, Benj, have you seen this clip? I don't know, if Benj has seen this clip? Probably not. <laughs> Susan and Susan J. Coman for the Cure or whatever apparently is another yeah, su- yeah. suspicious organization. Oh, Susan. We're just putting heads on
3: spikes right now. Exactly. Uh, day for the charity.
1: What was it like meeting the T Man? He, died? Al. Yeah.
0: he He preferred that I called him Al. Do you have like a signed photo or a photo at all with him? No, I do not have a photo. Um, it was fun. I mean, you know, I didn't win. Um, which sucked, but, um, it was a really good time and, you know, free vacation to L.A., right?
3: That's crazy. Ben Hogan probably would have won.
0: I'm sure he would have. He would have been more committed and determined, so. Um, I did get a daily double right though, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Anywho,
2: Spike, what beer uh, are you drinking? Uh, Woodford.
0: Nice. Anywho, where did cool. I end on Hogan. Ben, you left off
2: at Sunday school sex.
0: Sunday school <laughs> sex. Yes. So, uh, I <laughs> fucked Valerie in some and like
2: ballerina, ballerina there. Fox. Yes,
0: uh, Valerie Fox. Fox ms fox val valerie a fox <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if for middle initial actually was a. um and so is now. they got married in 1935 five years into his pro career so uh he continued his pro career uh winning tournaments here here and there it actually took him 10 years to win his first tournament on the pro circuit after turning pro so that means he won his first tournament in 19 19- 40 and then uh started to generally build up build up build up the problem for ben hogan was that when he was a young early golfer he had a monstrous hook that he spent his entire life trying to overcome Same. so he decided to try and fix i'm a slice man yeah I generally just walk up to the ball and smack it and see where it ends up, and then that kind of determines what I'm doing on a day. Ben, you have a
2: fucking good stroke, I must say. Thank you, Spike. During I, my bachelor party, I, I remember as I was slipping into blackout, black, black blacked out,
0: Megs, watching you just strike your three wood down the fairway. Over and over, my favorite, Meg. <laughs> it's my favorite club in my entire bag my three wood is the only one that i can hit with any consistency uh everything else is generally a crapshoot um including my sandwich which i still haven't mastered and have come close to snapping across my knee um and anywho uh so wicked hook that he spent his entire life trying to correct and religiously spent time at the range uh, just driving balls trying to fix his hook changing his grip going from a strong grip weak grip generally though it's accepted that he adopted the strong grip with a cupping motion with his off hand which I believe was would be his left off sounds- if he's a righty That sounds erotic yes just gently cup and lightly (laughs) squeeze. That's really the key. While
3: also maintaining a strong grip.
0: While also maintaining a strong grip through the stroke. And making it to Sunday school on time. Correct. But you can't maintain the strong grip through the stroke while maintaining a gentle but firm cupping motion and still live up to your Sunday school commitments as we go. (laughs) Uh, Valerie, she had her, she had her needs and, you know, maybe they weren't being met because of all this cupping and gripping and stroking. Anywho, uh, (laughs) he was able to overcome that, but we'll talk more about the ball striking later, which by the way, ball striking is perhaps Mm -hmm. my favorite compound word in the English language. Every time I read about Ben Hogan, see Ben Hogan, anything about it. And someone says he's the greatest ball striker that ever (laughs) walked onto a golf course It's just such a strong uh, compound word. I really do enjoy it. Benj, what's Uh, your least favorite compound word? least (laughs) favorite compound word? That's a debate. I got a series of favorite words. Uh, Zeppelin is pretty high up on there. Uh, uh, Spike, of course, introduced, or MIGS, for those of you listening at home who want consistency in the naming, uh, introduced me to uh, defenestration. Uh being thrown out of a window that's a great one, also from the Latin root "fenestra," meaning window, yeah, small well set <laughs> benefits of benefits of a classic <laughs> classical education. thank you thank you and uh, yeah, my least favorite compound word I'll have to think about that when I get back to you. um I can't even think of a compound word at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> It would have to be like said, it's just overly <laughs> controlled. Um, yes. Um. Anyways, uh, so we talked about the wife. We talked about the ball striking, and we'll get into more of that later as he gets later into his career. So that brings us up all the way. So he turned pro in 1930 when he was 17. That brings us up to 1948, at which point he had already started to amass this you know reputation series of wins um wasn't really popular on tour he was seen as cold and aloof um wasn't exactly the most popular player um then uh 1948 he wins the u.s open with a then record setting eight under par Which I believe held as the record for the US open as all listeners know, traditionally, the most difficult of the 4 majors in any given year uh, for a long time. Now, I don't know how long that time was because I can't remember because I've been drinking all night, but it held for quite a while. Uh, Does anybody remember anybody? 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 No, Tell us. Well, I mean, everyone knows that the eight-under-par record held until at least 1970. Everyone knows this. And so from that point on, uh, 1948 wins the U.S. Open, eight-under-par, crushes it. Great, amazing, fantastic. 1949, uh, the year for Mr. Hogan. Not in a good way. His uh, Annis Horribilis, as uh, Queen Elizabeth II would say.
2: His anus horrible.
0: Yes. Uh, it's February. It's low visibility conditions. He and Valerie a Fox. Now, Hogan are driving back from a golf tournament. And there's heavy fog. They are driving along the road. Suddenly he sees headlights in front of him. And they run into a full head on collision with a fucking Greyhound bus the. Important thing to take away from this incident is not the fact which we'll get to that. He recovered from his injuries. It's not the fact that everyone made it out alive. The important thing to keep to take away from this with Ben Hogan's character is that his instinct in the mere half second when he saw that bus about to demolish his car was to throw his body in front of his wife. He threw himself out of the driver's seat across her body to protect her. In so doing, in that heroic act, saved his own life. when they eventually pulled them both out of the car the steering column in his 1949 vehicle had penetrated absolutely through the driver's seat and would have killed him had he stayed there panicked or anything but what's important to note is imagine what you can do in half a second in instinct his instinct wasn't for himself it wasn't to jerk the steering wheel which there wouldn't have been enough time his instinct was this is about to happen and i need to protect my wife and so he did and that is what saved his life ultimately in my opinion that's his reward for that moment of instinct we were very much rewarded by the fact that not only did he save himself but he did in fact save his wife he was the one who had the brutal injuries and they went on to have a long and happy and fulfilling life together
3: we would we never have him. had bivica a fox without him
0: no never would have had her now all that being said he suffered horrific injuries that plagued him for the rest of his life uh, including blood clots in his legs that caused circulation problems for the rest of his life and it severely impacted uh, his endurance aspect of the game so that accident happened in february 1949 Uh, He eventually gets out of the hospital after doctors are telling him, you need to take it easy and you may never walk again. He starts to recover his strength by going on long walks, uh, immediately contradicting his doctors and telling them, oh, yeah, I may never walk again. Well, watch this. I'm going to go on long walks. Enjoy that. He starts to play golf again in november of 1949 so he has this horrific car accident that today i mean probably still would have killed any one of us and starts to play golf again in november of 1949 and then uh resumes his place on the tour the professional tour in early early 1950. he attends the masters which of course is in april uh places fourth And then, uh, shit, where was I going from here? Oh yeah, Uh, the US Open in 1950. So the US Open in 1950 is when he has his absolutely famous shot with a one iron, which I challenge anyone listening now to find a one iron, let alone hit one with any degree of competency. And it's the absolute iconic shot that is currently hanging in the dining room of every golf club in the United States of Ben Hogan, post-swing, post-follow-through, absolutely crushing a one-iron from an impressive 200 yards out on the 18th hole of the U.S. Open back when they used to make you play 36 holes a day. So it's important to keep in mind that, you know when we say that a player can walk up to a ball back then and say, "Oh, you know we hit it two hundred yards with a one iron, you know you have players today, the modern folk who are able to just you know they can hit their fucking pitching wedge two hundred yards, and the benches of the world <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> just walk up and crush it uh somebody hold my drink while I uh, smack this ball two hundred yards uh with a pitching wedge no um But what's important to keep in mind is back then, Ben Hogan was a small dude. He was not absolutely ripped like a lot of the golfers, the pro golfers that we have today who keep themselves in peak physical condition. He was 5'8", 145 pounds soaking wet, uh, 5'8", standing on his tiptoes. And you have to keep in mind the technology improvements that we've had. I mean, we have people now who get mechanical engineering degrees and go work for Callaway Golf and live the goddamn dream every day of their life. And this is back when golf clubs were built in, you know, factories where it's, you know, or garages, guys are working on their own clubs, things like that. It is a piece of steel at the end of a steel stick. There's no flexibility. There's no sweet spot to speak of. I mean, you walk up and you knock this ball around with a, essentially a steel club it is not like today's clubs where you have the highfalutin graphite shafts and uh, the club the club head is three inches behind the shaft as you're swinging through the ball and it snaps forward i mean this is a weapon for lack of a better word that to me is what makes it so impressive the fact that this guy is able to walk up and smash An old school one iron, essentially, like I said, a steel club that would be a weapon in any other sense of the word, crush it 200 yards, two putt, force a playoff, and then walk off with the championship a day later after recovering from horrific injuries. Can we pause for a second so I can take a drink?
3: Yeah, take multiple.
0: What they don't tell you the the insider secret of that tournament, is that he fell down in the middle of the tournament, and I believe it was the 12th hole, we'll call it the 12th hole, and was so in so much pain following, you know, the recovery from his accident, that the guy he was playing with was marking his balls for him on the green. He couldn't bend down to mark his own balls. He considered quitting shortly after he fell down, but his caddy was like, no, no, press on. Clearly somebody who is paid by commission, as they are today in a portion of the winnings, says, "Nay, you're fine, Ben Hogan. Keep at it. You can barely stand, but as long as you can swing a club, who gives a shit? So, he crushes the one iron at this, is this tournament in the U.S. Open, 1950, Is at Marion. There is now a plaque on the 18th hole at Marion from the... Spot from which he crushed that one iron shot. 200 yards onto the green. Two putted, as was his wont. Ben Hogan, never a big one for putting. Forced a playoff and won the next day in an 18-hole playoff, winning the U.S. Open just about a year after he suffered an accident where the doctor said, eh, you may never walk again. So, I suppose after... The iconic shot in 1950 basically the signal to the world that Ben Hogan was back uh, on the world stage. Um, car crashes and Greyhound buses be damned. He eats those things for fucking breakfast. Uh, he continued his uh, illustrious career. I mean, so after the crash, so before the crash, he had, you know, call it 50 or so tour wins. A respectable career uh, and no slouch by any stretch. What's more impressive is the fact that after doctors said he would never walk again, he comes back and he wins twelve more events, six of them being majors. The biggest year, of course, the one that everyone talks about, one of the best years ever in golf, was in 1953. So in 1953, Ben Hogan goes down to. Tiny little town of Augusta, Georgia, wins the Masters Tournament, the Granddaddy of them all, one of the greatest tournaments. And then he uh, wins the U.S. Open in resounding fashion. Uh, Comes back, makes an absolutely stunning appearance at the U.S. Open and wins that. I don't remember the score, but the important one that we have to talk about is the one and only time that he made the trek to uh all of our mother country uh the british isles and goes and plays in the oldest and greatest of the tournaments the open championship played that year at carnoustie ben hogan uh goes to carnoustie uh, shows up all those snooty british bastards and wins the british open so in presented that, by Her Majesty the Queen. Correct. Presented by Her Majesty. God bless her. So in 1953, he achieves what was then really the triple crown of golf. The PGA Championship was uh, a major then and starting to become a more significant tournament and becoming more important, but really winning the US Open, the Open or the British Open, and the Masters. Those are the Three feathers that you want to have tucked into your cap. He wins at Carnoustie, takes a, a slow boat back from the British Isles, comes back to New York City, and God bless New York City. At the drop of a hat, I mean, we don't really do it these days anymore. They give him a ticker tape parade, the same thing that we give when the astronauts came back, the same thing we gave when guys came back from World War II. They celebrated him like the, celebrated him like the conquering hero that he was. Gets a ticker tape. Same thing
3: after Ben was on, Child's Jeopardy.
0: Yeah, and uh, also like me, I was uh, feted by the 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 greatest, uh, the greatest in the land in New York City, Washington D.C. Many embassy visits. It was a uh, truly an honor. Got to wear a sash and everything. <laughs> um, bachelorette party sash. Exactly. So 1953 was really the absolute peak of Ben Hogan's career. He achieves the triple crown of golf, a feat not equaled until one young Eldrick Woods, commonly known as Tiger, was to do it himself in the early 2000s. Can't remember the exact year because I'm on my like sixth cocktail, so it happens. Forgive me. I mean, I think it's just important to keep in mind that, you know, there's 1 course in the entire country that will always be associated with Ben Hogan when you mention either Ben Hogan, or you mention either colonial country club in Texas. You think of Ben Hogan Um, commonly referred to as Hogan's alley and it was a course that his home truly his home course, the course that he retired from and 1 that is will carry his legacy from now uh, into the future. After 1953, his uh, career continues. Eventually, uh, he starts to share his secrets. As we had mentioned before, Ben Hogan was perhaps the greatest ball striker who ever, again, God, what a great word, ball striker, whoever walked onto a golf course. Ben hogan uh decided to share his secrets with the world in contrast to the uh cold somewhat aloof persona he had before he uh wrote a book uh co-written with another author who had three names can't remember what it is something it's a shitload of w's in there somewhere and uh it was the fundamentals of golf or the fundamentals of modern golf we'll call it the fundamentals of modern golf uh, very Perfect. thin, very slim volume. Something you can easily slip into your pocket. Divided into a couple simple, easy to read chapters, and it kind of took the golf world by storm. It's considered one of the best golf books ever written. Talking about the modern way to approach the game, the way to improve your swing. Written by one of the masters of swinging a golf club himself, Ben Hogan, and his ghost writer, whom I presume was also. Not too bad on the golf course, although I have no evidence to back that up. I'm just making that up. Uh, he writes his book. He starts the Ben Hogan golf company uh, starts producing golf uh, or uh, golf products, etc., etc. And
2: uh, I'm also,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the end at this point, by the way, um, <laughs> because I don't remember much after this. Uh, so. Eventually, he, after starting all these different ventures talking about, um. The, uh, he started touting the idea of the fact that he had. Uh, he had discovered the secret to a perfect swing, which, as we had discussed before, was a strong grip with a cupped under offhand grip. And he said it would virtually eliminate a hook, uh, from a modern golf swing. Um, we have to take his word at it. No one really has been able to duplicate his swing um, since he was doing it himself. Uh, ben Hogan eventually retired in the '60s, uh, stopped playing golf professionally. Eventually, the injuries from the auto accident started to take his toll. Started to take their toll on him physically, uh, and then. Uh, after he fully retired, continued to lead an active life, I suppose. And then he died. In 1997, and that was the, uh, the end of a very long and very storied career of 1 of the. Greatest golfers ever, uh, the important thing to keep in mind with Ben Hogan, you know, I mean, obviously his name is all over a bunch of different products. He's considered somebody who is just a recognizable name for golf, and he once told a golf writer that any endorsement that bore his name would only be associated with uh, truly unassailable value. That is the key to Ben Hogan, the idea that he was such a perfectionist that when he started the Ben Hogan Golf Company, according to stories, the first. A line of golf clubs, golf clubs that they produced that were fully made. They made the mistake of showing them to him after they had already produced this massive line of golf clubs and the product was ready to go to and hit shelves and he picked 1 up and swung it. And he said, yeah, it's not good enough and forced them to destroy all of their product remake it again. According to his exacting standards. Um, his perfectionist persona really had something to do. With apparently what his mother told him when he was young, that your name is the most important thing that you own. Don't ever do anything to disgrace it or cheapen it. Something that we can all keep in mind today from time to time, the way that we throw things around now. I think it's important to note that in a game that never quite allows perfection, that the name of Hogan was synonymous with the quest to achieve it. Uh, I just wanted to add also that I think it's important, like, you know, when you hear the name Ben Hogan, you immediately think ball striker, amazing player. What's more important, I think, that was emphasized at the end of the podcast is it wasn't really just the fact that he was an outstanding ball striker. It was his lifelong quest for being the absolute best that he could fucking be. And I think we should all kind of take something away from that, not giving up and just the ball striking was a product of his internal drive, which I think is even more impressive than the final product.
3: So it sounds like, um. You know, Ben Hogan was just this incredible ball striker, but. I want to finish this episode off with. Kind of a new, a new motto, a new legacy, and I think it's that that Ben Hogan is the greatest ball copper in all of the land.
2: <laughs> ball copper.
0: That is me. <laughs>
3: ben, who would be um, Ben Hogan's favorite actress? Actress. gay Fox. That is correct. <laughs>
0: I feel like it's I feel like it's kind of a trick question, I mean, let's be honest. Oh man. What else do you guys, what do you guys require? <laughs> what else do you require? Do I need to record your voicemail messages? <laughs> I hope not.
3: <laughs> will you this is perfect. will you record? A voicemail message as if you're Ben Hogan right now. <laughs> Should you I have t- 10 seconds to brainstorm. Mm. going to be off the cuff, but it's going to be beautiful.
2: Your name is the most important thing you own.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Don't disgrace it.
0: Leave a message to the beep. <laughs> This is Ben Hogan. I'm currently away from my phone, either stroking one irons or pounding Valerie's. (laughs) Please message after the beep. As soon as I can, thank you. Oh man. Or pounding one irons and stroking Valerie's. Pounding one irons and stroking Valerie's, that's the way to go.
3: That was awesome.
1: There you have it, that is the story, and these are The Lynx Stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter, at The Lynx Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network, at the Stories Pods on Twitter, as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly.
2: I heard... I heard a story. I don't know if this is true, but when he... Like, the last time that he hit a golf ball, like, he just... He asked one of his shaggers, one of his ball shaggers, to go out to the first tee with him. One time when he was in his 70s or something, I don't know, and he... He hit 3 T shots exactly perfectly where he wanted each T shot to go. And then he said. Or then he just like, dropped his club and I'm done left and he never hit a ball ever again. That's <laughs> like,
0: a true mic drop moment. That's awesome. That yeah. is That's insane.
3: It was just like, I'm just going to hit this right there. And yeah. he, he developed that power fade. Mm.
0: very much yeah it's funny uh there was a quote that I saw talking about how somebody had asked Jack one time you know um does Tiger have the best he said I think they said is Tiger the best ball striker you've ever seen or does Tiger have the best swing you've ever seen and his instant response like before the guy even got the question I was like no Ben Hogan like because he because he was on the turn like they were on the tour together like that's how recent he was. I mean, you think you talk about these guys like they're you know, fucking legends, which they are, but I mean, they only he only died 25 years ago. It's funny to think about in that sense. I mean, he's not that far, especially with golf, golf being such a young sport. He's not that far, sport in general is so young in our collective history. Um. Like he's not that far removed from the modern day. There's plenty of people who are still walking around who knew and met Ben Hogan. Now, like we're talking about, yeah. as I've mentioned many times, like old Tom Morris, who is you know, been dead for a thousand years. Very dead, <laughs> extremely dead, and extremely bearded.
3: So <laughs> Hogan, Hogan's. 5 lessons book was broken into 4 parts. Really.
0: (laughs) Why, why would you do such a thing? Save on paper.
3: (laughs) Also, the 4 parts are the fundamentals. The grip stance and posture. And the swing.
0: It's actually, is actually it really just a sex book you, you would think so based on the descriptions that he just talked about. Part 5 is just consummate. Well, I think part 5, not, not putting part 5, part 5 is just titled after <laughs>
3: Part
0: 5. Pupping. exactly part 5. where's the Kleenex?
3: <laughs> Coital
0: <Coidal, coidal> cupping.
3: <laughs> Coital cupping.
0: Body from the Here. top of the swing. And if you don't mind, I'll demonstrate. First off, start down below with your knees and your hips. Can you hear it? Yeah. Hands yeah. pull oh, up to his tits. The lower part of your body, not your shoulders, the lower part of your body. Letting your arms and hands follow. Yeah, baseball thing. But
3: But
0: this is the first movement. There. Yes. Then you release at the bottom. Most people do it entirely opposite. They rotate their shoulders first instead of their lower body. As a result, they come across the ball and hit the outside of the ball instead of the back of it. If you don't mind, I'll hit a ball. And, I don't mind. and the first thing to watch is the is what starts Please. first
2: from from the top of the swing god what a voice <laughs> his pants are out a fucking belly button true He's made for a fucking camera too he's just working it that is
0: gorgeous but I think I just came
3: <laughs> so why didn't he why didn't he show all this effort that he showed everywhere else in the putting? Just putting
2: fucking sucks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not
2: satisfying.
3: I
0: mean, yeah, it's not satisfying. He,
2: he talked about it's just like just digging perfect. into the dirt. He just wanted to just yeah. grind, and that the putting aspect was just probably not satisfying or not fulfilling
0: for him, perhaps. I also heard, and I didn't see this anywhere else, but I remember hearing this years ago, that he never hit a hole in one in his life.
2: That's crazy.
0: In either private or professional competition, and that it was largely because when he started playing golf, the flag pins used to be made from hickory wood. And so if you would hit the pin, the ball would bounce off the green. Unlike now where you hit the pin and, depending on how how hard you hit it, but they're kind of designed to just drop the ball. Um, But yeah, like he got used to the idea of I'm not aiming directly at the flag stick. I'm aiming short or I'm aiming a little to the left or a little to the right and hope it rolls in. But, you know, just like he just didn't really aim at the pin because he was just, you know, had obviously gotten burned. He'd hit the stick before on a par three and it bounced off the green. He's like, well, fuck me. Now I'm going to make a par if I'm lucky.
2: It's ridiculous that he stopped aiming at the pin.
0: I know, and, and I don't have. A, I have. I have no sources to back that up. But I remember reading it a long time ago, and it, and I thought I would see it on the Wikipedia page, and I didn't. So maybe that's not. Maybe that's not actually true. But I, so I think an
3: alternative. An alternative interpretation might be that this guy that's constantly pursuing perfection doesn't want to make a hole in one because then he's reached it. And he has nothing more on that hole to ever strive
0: for. Yeah. Solve that hole. Done. What's next? Find me a new one. You're welcome. Yeah. That is an alternative interpretation that I actually kind of like quite a bit.
2: At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with.